The following is suitable for all audiences. On Sunday, the Bears won their third home opener in the Matt Nagy era versus one loss, and they're now one and one for the season. The game was a lot closer than it needed to be, and despite Justin Fields' uneven performance, his play generated more questions about how close the rookie is to being named a starter for the rest of the season. That's one of the 10 topics we'll debate here today on the third episode of The Bear Debate. My name is Aldo Gandia. Let's bring in the debaters, starting with Tyler Ellis. Tyler, how are you, brother? <laughs> the Bears won. I'm doing amazing. <laughs> I'm amazing, brother. Come on. At yeah. the end of the day, it starts with a Bears W. Bear down, Chicago Bears. It doesn't matter. We got the W. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Tyler. Tyler's going to bring the hope and the positivity. Maybe not bringing as much hope and positivity as John Buffon. <laughs> hey, listen, I don't know how many of these we're going to be able to do after a Bears win, so let's just enjoy it while we can. They did win. We're happy. We're not going to be too negative, but there's plenty to dissect with this football team. There really is a lot to dissect. So if you guys are ready, let's get on to the first topic, okay? Yeah. All right. Round one. If you look at Justin Fields' stat line from his young career, you'd say, meh, against the Bengals, he fumbled, had two false start penalties, threw an interception that led to a Bengals big TD. But despite all that, the entire football world is buzzing about the Bears quarterback. Now, Andy Dalton's injury status might keep him from starting Sunday against the Browns. Regardless, make the case for Justin Fields or a a healthy Andy Dalton starting against the Browns. Tyler, mm-hmm. you start us off. I go first. <laughs> make it a case for Justin Fields to start. I will make a case for Justin because if Andy Dalton cannot run away from pressure, he is a liability. That is a ferocious um, D-line by the Cleveland Browns, regardless of any type of injuries. Andy Dalton is a sitting duck if he cannot move out of there. He was great last week because he was able to move and get those quick first downs. I We need our quarterback to be alert and be able to play outside of the, um, the play call. This is the guy that didn't want to start Justin Fields until 2022 a couple weeks ago. Now he wants him to start in week three of 2021, but I digress. I'm absolutely starting Justin Fields. The kid didn't take any first-team reps leading up to that game. The game plan was crafted around Andy Dalton. Look, Dalton played admirably, but he isn't going to be able to escape a third and nine and run for a first down. Did Fields make some rookie mistakes? Absolutely. But he's going to make those rookie mistakes, whether it's week two or week five or whenever they decide to insert him in his rookie season. Give him a full week with the first team and let's light this firecracker. I think that is key, right? If he gets the full week of practice with the starters and he goes through all the physical preparations for the week, now mentally – he studies the, the playbook just like he's going to start, so that's not going to change that much. But now, just the whole week of knowing you're going to be the starter, that's got to help him, right, Tyler? It's definitely going to help him. And, and he's, a, he, he's a great student of the game, and that's why you have to like the kid. He plays with a tenacity. He fights for his teammates. But it's some intangibles that most fans forget when you're in the game is different. 
What did Mike Tyson say? Oh, John, you, everybody got a plan until you get punched in the face. And so you don't know what you're going to do until you do it. And this is one thing real quick that I love about Justin. He fumbled the ball, but rather than, oh, my gosh, I fumbled, he got it back. Mm-hmm. And that's what shows you that this guy is ready to start and fight for his team, regardless of what I said in the week, week one. The guy, the guy, basically, he said that he was really taking that scout team seriously. He wanted to get the defense ready by running the scout team. Uh, so he need, if he's in there getting in the cadence, and obviously Andy Dalton and Justin Fields have different cadences when they're in there. Obviously, we saw some false starts. Maybe there's a miscommunication with Sam Mustafer and all that other stuff. Give him a full week practicing with those guys that he's going to be on the field with the entire time. Uh, some of those mistakes aren't going to happen. I feel like Justin Fields is the kind of guy where you make a mistake – and you fix it, and you don't see it happen again. I think we saw some uh, early rookie mistakes, not a lot of preparation, probably the worst-case scenario for Matt Nagy because he didn't get to pick when he got to put Justin Fields in. It just came about where Andy Dalton hurt himself, and then all of a sudden they had to put him in. So it wasn't this, oh, the Kansas City model, and we got to wait, and we got to wait for the perfect time to just insert because I'm so smart, I know exactly when to put Justin in. No, he went in, he played ball, they won the game. The head coach is responsible for the energy and chemistry of the team. Justin Fields entered the game. Everything became electric. Every single play was electric. Oh, my gosh. What is he going to do next? It's a wow factor that is priceless, and that's what happens when you trade up for a first-round talent, Justin Fields. Yeah, it was fascinating listening listening to uh, left tackle Justin Peters talk about the comparisons between Justin Fields and Michael Vick, who he blocked for. He said that both of them are electric guys, full of confidence. And so that's a, a pretty nice comparison. Uh, if Fields can have a career similar to Vic, the Bears are going to have their first great quarterback in how many years? I don't know. Maybe ever. Yeah, ever. <laughs> Just last year. All right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> let's move on to round two. Matt Nagy took responsibility for not getting the ball more to Cole Komet, who was targeted only once. He also said that sometimes plays are called for the tight end and there's nothing available, so the quarterback goes elsewhere. What's your overall impression about Nagy's use of the tight end position? Ding, ding, John, you are up. Well, my overall impression is that Matt Nagy talks out of his rear end when talking about the tight end. How many more times do we have to hear about needing to get Cole Komet more involved? Last year, it was the same thing. Remember when we used to say that they couldn't get the tight end involved because it was a depleted position and that Matt Nagy's offense wasn't working because they didn't have enough depth at the tight end position? Well, they used their top draft pick in 2020 to bring in a tight end. They retained a $9 million price tag on Jimmy Graham. And like everything else with this team, we're running running out of excuses and running out of people to blame. Matt Nagy said the reason why Jimmy Graham isn't getting enough repetition is because we're developing Cole Komet. I don't see that. Get the man the ball. But it also shows me how much Nagy was involved in the Kansas City offense because Kelsey gets targets. Kelsey gets reps. Cole Komet has like 24-inch arms. Find a way to get that man the ball and let him push for a first down. That is the fascinating thing about this whole thing is that Nagy is running this Kansas City offense that's tight end reliant, but we're not seeing the tight end get the number of targets that that tight that offense calls for. So it's it's baffling. John, do you think there's any chance of, of it changing? Now, if 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 Cole Komet is covered and that's allowing Allen Robinson to be open in a, in, in a slant, then fine. 
as long as we're getting first downs, it's fine. So we got the W, so I'm not mad about it. If Cole Komet got five catches and we lost, I'll be upset. But the, So whatever it takes to win. But at the end of the day, we're talking about 60 minutes of football. Get the young man some reps. You can run him in the street, run him in the stream, run him in a, a post, a post out route, stretch him out. The, the, the man can run. It doesn't have to be a drag route. Some of these guys just they were sitting on plays. So it, it comes back to an imagination of the offensive coordinator. I, yeah. I feel like I'm just tired of hearing about Matt Nagy's connection to Kansas City. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. I'm just tired of it because somehow Doug Peterson was on the Andy Reid tree too, and he somehow found a way to get Zach Ertz involved in Philadelphia. Uh, so I, I, I'm just tired of hearing like he's bringing this Kansas City attitude. It's not Kansas City. He's not Andy Reid. This is not the same roster. This is a different offense. I mean, they they still they. I mean, both of them kind of disregard the running game. That's what they have, like what they're alike. But that's about where it runs out. So I'm just. This is Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears offense. This is the Chicago Bears system. I'm tired of hearing about Kansas City because they ain't Kansas City. Nowhere near it. So make the make the Chicago Bears system work or get the hell out. Facts. All right, let's move on to round three, which is also dealing with the tight end position. On WSCR radio here in Chicago, one of the broadcasters proclaimed that the Jimmy Graham contract with the Bears is one of the worst in Bears history. Now, two weeks ago, the Bears converted $5.8 million of Jimmy Graham's salary into a signing bonus, creating $4.6 million in cap space, but they also added $4.6 million to their 2022 cap. Given the amount of snaps he's seen this year, his play, do you agree that Jimmy Graham has one of the worst contracts in Bears history? Tyler, we're going to begin with you. One of the worst contracts in Bears history? Bears history? Um, no, it's not. That's not that big of a deal. First of all, I'm not counting another man's pockets. First of all, let's just be real. At the end of the day, don't be mad at your agent because you didn't get a good deal. If Jimmy got the deal, good job for Jimmy. He deserves it. So what? Maybe if we get to the playoffs. We'll see what a Jimmy Graham can do. And so at the end of the day, let Jimmy um, mentor. Come call right now. Jim, I'm worried about Jimmy in December and January. That's what I want Jimmy to show up. I don't want to pay $9 million for a playoff weapon that when the team probably won't make the playoffs. But I'm not, I, I would say it's one of the worst, but it might not even be the worst on the current roster, let alone in history. I know everyone was encouraged by the reemergence of Robert Quinn last week, but they still gave that guy $70 million, and he is the fourth highest cap hit amongst outside linebackers in the NFL. He's right ahead of Khalil Mack, which is another questionable contract, but I don't think that one is one of the worst ever. But yeah, the Jimmy Graham contract is bad because they keep kicking money down the road for a guy that probably won't be on the team next year. Yeah, you know, the season is young. We're two games into it. It's a 17-game regular season, the longest in, in NFL history. So a lot can change over the course of, of the season. We might see Jimmy Graham get a lot more snaps in certain games. He might make game-winning plays. He led or was tied for touchdowns among tight ends last year. But it certainly does seem that with all of the tight ends in this room, that maybe we're carrying one too many, and maybe that one too many is Jimmy Graham, right? <laughs> so I, I don't know. Uh, any other thoughts on that whole tight end mess before we move on? I mean, the, the last thing I'll say on it is that we, when we get in the red zone, I like having multiple targets for a for a quarterback and young quarterback that can actually that can actually catch, catch the ball. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, he and- was lined up against guys half his size in the red zone and they weren't throwing him the football. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not sure what happened. I don't know if that's design or if that's the quarterback play. But you saw a couple of times there was a cornerback on him who was looking up like this. And uh, you, you, you hope that you could get a guy who's really good at that red zone, that red zone offense, get him the ball, see what he can do. Uh, but to your point, Aldo. When they ke- when they kept Jesper Horstead and Jesse James, who mm. all kind of do the same thing, uh, they're they're not all big. They're not really big blocking guys. They're more of the receiving type. I thought when they kept Jesper Horstead and they kept Jesse James, I thought, well, maybe maybe they're showing the door to Jimmy Graham to maybe save us some of that cap space. But they didn't. They kept all of them. They have basically four. They have four tight ends. That kind of all do the same thing. And then J.P. Holtz, which is kind of that H-back guy, uh, Cole Komet can stay in and block. But uh, they kind of they kind of have three guys that do the same thing, and then they don't play any of them. Well, I will say that J.P. Holtz has a, is a very good blocker out of the back. Right. Uh, yeah. so, so he does have a, a talent that I don't think any of the other tight ends. Well, have. you can keep him. Keep him. Yeah. But, like, I'm talking about Horse, Horstead and Jesse James and Jimmy Graham and Cole mm-hmm. Komet. I mean – I think you're probably expecting the same thing out of all four of those guys. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's talk about the running back position here in round four. David Montgomery had 61 yards rushing on 20 attempts in week two, but 42 came after contact. He forced five missed tackles. That is a Herculean effort. But that's my opinion. I want to hear your opinion. What does David Montgomery mean to the Chicago Bears? Buffon, come out fighting. Look, he should be the identity of the Chicago Bears offense, much like Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey are the faces of their offenses. For the better part of four years, this Bears offense has had an identity crisis. No one knows what they do well. No one knows what their main objective is, but their main objective should be to get the ball in the hands of David Montgomery and quit trying to be smarter than everyone. Quit doing shovel passes. Quit playing chess when you don't know the difference between a rook and a bishop and swallow your pride and let the running game actually be the reason why you you win the game sometimes. David Montgomery is a cornerstone to this to this organization. And it but for the running game to really evolve, we're gonna need blocking for, even from our young young receivers. Because Darnell Mooney actually I saw him he missed a crucial block on the outside. They did the same thing when they came outside and they don't block. But David Montgomery, he is a horse. He is a top 10 receipt on um, running back in my opinion. And I feel like he has a chance to be top five. Give him the ball, give him space and he'll make people miss. There you go. Um, I gotta, I gotta add too that David Montgomery is is such a he he is, epitomizes Chicago Bear football. Mm-hmm. That second and third effort, him fighting the way he does, I love this guy. He is quickly moving up my ranks of favorite all time running backs. John, off the top of your head, who are your favorite running backs after Walter Payton? <laughs> Well, Gail Sayers is right there. I, I I never pick between Gail Sayers and, and Walter Payton because I think Gail Sayers, had he stayed healthy, could have been considered the best running back of all time. Uh, so it's Sayers and then uh, and then Payton and then uh, are we just talking about Bears? Yeah, just Bears. Because then then it's Matt Forte, uh, Neil Anderson. Throw him in there. Uh, yeah. Tom, uh, Thomas Jones and and you you start looking at the. Uh, 
the how long they were the tenure with the Bears compared to production with the with the window that they were with the Bears. So you got to weigh those back and forth. But uh, yeah. Garrett Wolf, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, if, if Thomas Jones plays more seasons with the Chicago Bears, do you believe he would have been one of the all time best Chicago Bears at that position? Although I was so don't curse, Tyler, don't curse. I was so highly <laughs> upset when they gave when they wanted to appease the Cedric freaking Benson's ego mm-hmm. and get rid of Thomas Jones to make his punk butt skipping feel better when Thomas <laughs> Jones was, oh man, I'm still, I'm not over it yet, but Thomas Jones was like a crucial part of us. And he, and then Cedric Benson couldn't just, wouldn't just go. He had to do his little skipper rule first and then get tackled in the backfield. But um, yes, I feel like he would have been one of the top. Um, Matt, For- Matt Forte, Thomas Jones, those are, those are my two guys. That um after Walter Payton, of course, um, yep. great running backs for the Bears. Yeah, Curtis Enos, another one. Another one of those, but you know, top what top five uh, running backs that just didn't seem to work out. But yeah. All right, let's move on here for the final question of this first half of the show, round five. The Bears' offensive line has been criticized for years now. Sunday, they had a relatively excellent game. In fact, the offensive tackles graded among the highest in pro football focus. So take that take that for whatever it's worth. But tell me what your level of satisfaction is with the offensive line after two weeks. And we will begin with you, Tyler. My satisfaction is I am highly impressed. We were I was panicking before, but for a 39-year-old tackle to get hurt early in the season and to come back and play a complete game and be hurt in that same game, it shows the toughness and the resilience of this um, line. And it goes back to Juan Castillo of the coach. He's coached these guys up. We were we didn't have two tackles. We missed two tackles. We got guys on IR. So to protect Andy Dalton the way that they did, I'm highly impressed and I'm highly encouraged. Well, they certainly proved me wrong. I was concerned, and I still have some concern, but they really did play well. They created time for both quarterbacks back there. Uh, you'd like to see a little bit of a better push in the run game, but overall, they did not lose the game for the Bears, which I thought could be a possibility. Uh, they played very adequate, if not very good, and if you would have told me that they would have played at that level after all those injuries and everything that we saw in week one, I wouldn't have believed you, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. Now, uh, Sam Musfer just needs to get on the same page as just Fields. I was just going to bring up Sam Mustafer's name because he has become kind of the tackling dummy, for lack of a better way of putting it, among a lot of Bears fans. They're just unhappy with Mustafer and the fact that he doesn't have the strength of other Bears centers that we've seen, like Olin Cruz and Roberto Garza and so forth. Tyler, John, what's your level of concern with the play of Sam Mustafer? Should the Bears be on the lookout for another center if one becomes available in the waiver wire or something like that? I mean, they, I, I think you should always be looking on the waiver wire. And and, and they're, they're going to be able to grade his performance much better than we are. But I, I would say if he does just does not have the get up or just does not have the strength to to do what the other uh, to do what is necessary – then yeah, but it's not like it's not like quality centers are just dropping from the sky. That's a very, that's a pretty coveted position, and that's a, it's a specialty position where you got you got to be able to, I assume, call up the call up the protections and everything like that. Be on the same page as the as the quarterback. So 
yeah, that'd be great. Uh, it's just, I, I think sometimes people get this idea, like just go out and get somebody as if that person's just automatically going to be better. And who's, and Sam Musper has been in this system for years now. You can't just pop somebody in there. It's not like baseball where you go out and get a big hitter, plug him into the lineup and he's ready to go. There's a lot of chemistry issues that need to be uh, addressed once you bring somebody in. This falls on Ryan. This is this is a Ryan Pace issue, and a scout team issue. Um, you got you got to really do your homework on these guys. One of the most important positions in the game because the quarterback, the snap, none of that happens without the center. And sometimes we we take those people for granted because the quarterback's play is is can be well. And so, um, strength is an issue. I mean, I mean, the quarterback's ready to go. So you want timing and chemistry, like John just talked about. But then strength because it's one thing to get pressure from the D, D gap, but pressure in the A gap. That meant that could that that messes up an entire play call, which could if you have a loss on first down, that changes the rest of the plays on second and third down. We want to stay out of third and long. That starts at the line of scrimmage. Well, and if Mustafer's play uh, isn't up to expectations, there are two p- players already on that offensive line who have played center. That's Cody Whitehair. He's got some 15, 16 games at least under his belt as as a center. And James Daniels, who was really drafted to be the center, but had some problems with the play calling. That center position is basically the, the person who's making all the adjustments at the line. And Daniels wasn't totally confident of that uh, and has been moved to right guard where he had a really outstanding game uh, this past Sunday. So we'll see what, what's happening. I, I still think that the jury should uh, deliberate much longer on Sam Mustafer. Let's see him play a few more games before we make any rash decisions about getting them out of there. Yeah, right, real quick, real quick, Aldo. I was going to say, give it another week or two because when, do you really want to start moving those chess pieces around and like messing up the chemistry and like, oh, okay, now we got to find a new starting right tackle or a new left ta- – or excuse me, a right guard, left guard. Uh, are we going to start moving guys around and getting them out of their comfort zone and moving I, – I, I would prefer not to do that. Continuity is a great thing to have on the on the offensive line. But if someone is a serious detriment, you got to get them out of there and you got to find somebody who can. But I, I would love to be able to see that five work. And then, and if the concern is his strength, well, that's one thing that can be improved because strength comes from time under tension, which is experience. He's taking a pounding, and as his body heals throughout the season, he will become more calloused in upper body strength. So let him develop. Let him get those reps in. Because if he's doing everything else right, he once he gets that down, he'll be fine. So, like John said, let's like you both said, let's give it some time. As long as we're winning, if we're losing games because of it, that's a different ball game. But if we're winning games, he has grace. At, at the press conference this week, Jason Peters was talking about Juan Castillo and the impact he's made on the offensive line, and basically said that he just has guys repeating. Uh, really, really enhancing their muscle memory. And so he, he takes them through drills and they do it over and over and over again. And you know he's doing that with Sam Mustafer. So hopefully we'll see some progress soon because there are some certain things with technique that you can do to overcome uh, 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 strength. You guys know that uh, you spend a lot of time in the gym, whereas I don't. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with the second half. Hey, everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get T-shirts. You can get caps. You can get coffee mugs. You can get hoodies. You can get all sorts of good stuff. And you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. 
So head over to deepdishtees.com. All right, we're back for the second half of the Bear Debate. Now, the defense deserves a lot of praise for their play. I want each of you to pick your defensive player of the game in your 30 seconds and tell us why. Afterwards, we'll settle or try to settle on just one guy getting the Bear Debate defensive player of the game. John Buffon, we'll begin with you. Well, for me, it's Jalen Johnson. You know why? Because the only time we really heard his name on the broadcast was when he got his interception. The Bears have a 22-year-old lockdown cornerback that's going to be a big part of this team, hopefully, for the next 8 to 10 years. He's PFF's highest-graded cornerback through two weeks and leads the NFL in pass breakups. This dude is a straight-up dog and is the biggest young star on an aging defense. We might be worried about slot corner in the, in the, in the future, but there's absolutely no doubt about what Jalen Johnson's role is on this team. A thousand percent right, John. I'm going to agree with that. So since you took that answer, I'm just going <laughs> to say um, shout out to Eddie Jackson for stepping and stepping up. I'm stepping up in a crucial way, not just making a tackle and making make tackles for a loss in the backfield and causing a turnover in, in the open field that looked like it was going to be a touchdown again. So shout out to Eddie Jackson for stepping up and acting like a leader and acting like a superstar, but also willing to put your body on the line and make a freaking tackle. I was watching you, uh, Tyler, when John picked Jalen Johnson, and you got this big smile, and I could tell that you were thinking, oh, man, he took my guy. (laughs) I wasn't ready for another guy. Like, who do I start picking? (laughs) I I did not anticipate us uh, agreeing on that, but uh, I think I guess he's he's our uh, defensive player of the week then. Yeah. Un- un- unquestionably, but uh, kudos also to Roquan Smith, who I think just played a, a virtually flawless game. I've mm-hmm. seen the game twice, and I just had- didn't see any misstep on his part. It was only guy. one. It Which was one? Only, it was only one. I was mm-hmm. going to pick him, but he had the one. Mm-hmm. It was when it was a banjo coverage, and the, the running back did a, a wheel route. And Roquan came in, and he didn't follow. Luckily, Burrow didn't see it, or it would have been a touchdown. Because, and so it ended up being – it wasn't a misstep because nobody else saw it, mm-hmm. but Roquan, he didn't stay with the guy. He, he didn't mm-hmm. stay with the guy. He And luckily, Burrow didn't see it either. But if Burrow would have looked up, it was a wheel route where they switched coverage, but it wasn't a switch. So that was the only thing. It's not really an issue because they didn't go there. But if Burrow did, it would have been six points. But he did good, though. He did good. Yeah. Uh, John, anyone else that deserves an honorable mention on the defense for their performance against the Bengals? Uh, overall, everyone kind of stepped their stepped their game up. Uh, I think the less we hear about Kendall Vildor, the better, because he's not being exploited on the other side of the field. I know that was a big question mark going into it. It's not like he's going to light up the stat book, but you know what? He, he's not a huge detriment to this team right now, and that – and as two really young cornerbacks who are showing some promise, I'm really excited about that because we weren't sure what we were going to get out of this position. We're still uncertain about the slot and the nickel. Uh, but uh, I, I think the, the the one and the two are really solidifying. Jalen Johnson for sure, but Kendall Vildor as well. All right, let's move on to round number seven. And uh, Tyler, you just brought up the name Eddie Jackson, and this question has to do with him. Jackson has gotten a lot of heat after his week one performance, and I say week as in W-E-A-K performance. He definitely had a much, much better game in week 
too. So I want to know how satisfied you are with the performance of Eddie Jackson and how confident you are of him kind of returning back to that 2018 level because he didn't have a flawless game. If you look at this play here, this touchdown pass, Eddie Jackson came in and he actually tackled Kendall Vildor and not ball <laughs> carry Jamar Chase. Hell of a block, hell of a block. <laughs> That's right. So I'll begin with you, Tyler. Uh, what, are, what are your uh, expectations for Eddie Jackson? My expectations for Eddie Jackson is kind of the same for everybody on the field. If you're on the field, you're a professional. If you're on the field, you've been chosen to do your job. And so regardless of what other year you had before, I expect a professional to be a professional. And Eddie Jackson is, is a above, above average talent. So I expect him to lead by example. And so first of all, don't tackle your own man. Like, bro, <laughs> you got the same color jersey on, bro. Hit the guy with the opposite color. But um, Eddie, go after the ball. <laughs> Look, I, I have confidence in Eddie Jackson just because we know what he's capable of. He did make a big tackle earlier. He had a big uh, part of that fumble. Uh, what I want to know is, is it really going to take people dogging him throughout the week to get his intensity level up? Did it really take fans and local media criticizing his play for him to step up? Or is he just kind of breaking out of a slump? I hope to God it's the latter because there is zero room in the NFL for complacency. You just can't have a good game and then rest on that for the next three weeks until people get on your ass again. Great points by both of you. Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, I'm always trying to look at the glass half full, and so I think we're going to see mistakes with Eddie Jackson. I don't think his tackling is ever going to be among the best in the league, but if he can get back to those ball hawking uh, and get us three, four turnovers this season, make those big plays, it might be uh, worth watching him miss some tackles and tackling his own players. <laughs> so we'll guys, see. One thing that's weird to me about the game now. Why are we not playing the ball? Why are we looking at the body so much? Like, when we talk about safeties, play the ball. Like, I understand because the, the, the wide receiver can, like, shake you up and move you up. If you play the ball, everybody has a right to the ball. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's less likely for them to call pass interference on you or any type of silly, sensitive play call if you just play the ball. He doesn't catch the ball, or it might be it, it, more chances of it being incomplete if you meet the receiver at the highest point. And so it's like, can we get back to those days? More pick sixes, more interceptions. Let's touch that. Come on. Or just, or just lay out Kendall Vildor, either one. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right, round eight. Despite not having Odell Beckham going into the Texans game and losing Jarvis Landry early in the game, Baker Mayfield had an efficient game in week two, completing 90% of his passes. That's right, 90%. What's your take? on the Browns' number one overall draft pick from 2018. Uh, Is he on the verge of stardom, or is he just a guy, or is he somewhere in between? John Buffon, let's start with you. Well, I think what you're seeing is a coach in a franchise that built a system for their quarterback to succeed. And I know that's a difficult com- a difficult concept for Bears fans to understand, but other teams actually do cater to the system around their players instead of trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. Uh, Baker has two incredibly talented running backs in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt that other defense uh, opposing defenses have to respect. Uh, but he is an accurate quarterback that can move around and make throws. So I'm not saying he's a system quarterback, but I am saying that Kevin Stefanski knows what he's doing as well. I mean, Baker has matured. We talk about Baker Mayfield when he first came into the league. We were just hoping that he wasn't a, a Menzel. 
But I think Baker has grown into leadership there. He puts his body on the line. You see my man scrambling in for touchdowns. I like. I got no issue with Baker. I mean, this week I do. Hopefully he's horrible. This, <laughs> hopefully he's horrible this week. But he's matured. And I mean, I, I got. No, I got a problem with Baker. I'm kind of rooting for him, just not this weekend. I got to tell you, I have never been a Baker Mayfield fan. I just never liked that kind of cocky, entitled. Uh, quarterback uh, attitude that he's taken, but he is a serviceable quarterback. Now, whether he is ever going to be a top tier one quarterback, I am very, very doubtful against him. So guys, I want to know what you think the Bears defense is going to do up against Baker Mayfield. Do you think he's uh, uh, looking forward to maybe three sacks from the Bears defensive defenders, John? It's... It is so hard to predict anything with the Chicago Bears because if they look like they change from quarter to quarter, although you know this, they change. It's not just game to game. Sometimes it's play to play. You're just like, what the hell? You were just doing this a moment ago, and now you're doing this. So yeah, if if the pass rush shows up like it kind of did last week, they could get some pressure on Baker Mayfield, make him scramble around a little bit. Uh, but if if it goes stagnant, then he's going to have time. You said it, ninety percent uh, accuracy rating. If he has a little bit of time. He can probably pick him apart. Now, I don't know how many big, you know, explosive plays they're going to have if they don't have they're not they're not going to have Jarvis Landry because he's on IR. Uh, but if if uh, uh, Beckham Jr. doesn't play, then I don't know how many shots downfield they're really going to be able to take. Uh, they might they might start targeting in the middle of the field, tight ends, things like that. But uh, I would love to say that they're going to give Baker Mayfield headaches all day. I would love to say that. I I will say it, but I'm not going to do it with confidence. <laughs> if we don't if we don't stay disciplined with play action, then we're gonna give Baker Mayfield an out. And so um they have a two-headed, they have horses in the backfield. And so, but they're so they're gonna go heavy play action. They're, they're gonna count on us making mistakes in our secondary. And if and we just can't give them the opportunity. Our front seven is primed and ready. I'm really loving our um, our front seven for Khalil Mack, Quinn, and Hicks. Those guys having sacks, that's what we've been dreaming about different angles of pressure coming that's a dream come true and so that alone i feel like can stunt the run game and so but it's the, that won't stop them from doing play action and we can't forget that baker mayfield can run too so i'm looking at for, for a big game from roquan smith who can cover sideline to sideline and if our dbs can stay honest my only concern is freaking duke shelley that's my only concern <laughs> well my I think this would be a great game for Eddie Goldman to start off on to because the, he would be a big-time player in shutting down that run game because you know Cleveland's going to come out, try to establish the run, and then, like you said, Tyler, roll off of that play action as much as possible, try to get people peeking in the backfield. Uh, if Eddie Goldman can get in and start eating up those blocks and kind of, I don't want to say stifle the run game, but at least slow it down, that'll go a long way in, in the Bears' defensive effort. So I would love to see Eddie Goldman on the field this week. That would be awesome. Excellent job, guys. All right, round nine. I know we've talked about the offensive line already, but we need to talk about it in the context of this upcoming game because the Browns' defensive front came into the season as one of the most talked about in the NFL. On Sunday, Jadavian Clowney had four quarterback pressures. Malik Johnson had three on only 24 pass rushing attempts. Miles Garrett had four tackles, but no sacks. Now, the Bears' offensive line has had some success protecting the team's quarterbacks against the Bengals, but they did allow three sacks. Is the Bears' offensive line trending up, trending down, staying put? Tyler, give us your first opinion. You are up first. 
I believe the, the Bears offensive line is definitely trending up. It's trending up because the offensive play call is to get the ball out quick. And this is another reason why I'm kind of hoping Justin Fields starts because he's going to he's going to help the offensive line by being able to run and not sit there and take sacks and being able to move the ball forward, which will give the offensive line confidence. Although the, the Cleveland Browns have nine new defensive starters on that defense. And so they're not used to playing together. Also, we are. And so I'm looking forward to us continue to trend up. I said after the game that the Browns are going to be a good barometer on where the Bears really are. And I'm going to say that across all positions, but and including the offensive line. Everyone talks about the, the Rams being Super Bowl contenders and the Bengals are projected to finish in the bottom third of the league. Uh, so with that defensive line and, and the Browns, in general, they're a really good football team. Maybe not a Super Bowl contender, but they're a really good team. So I'm, I'm going to reserve my right to see until I see the sample on Sunday. But if I need to give you an answer right now, I'd say that it might be good to have a mobile quarterback under center on Sunday. Right. There you go. You know what was interesting um, when Jason Peters talked to the press, they talked about you know what's the difference between having Andy Dalton about back there and, and Justin Fields. And he talked about that. Dalton will take his drop, whether it's a five-step drop or a seven-step drop, plant that foot, and then move forward up in the pocket. With Justin, he takes that drop, and then you don't know where he's going, right, left, anywhere. And so one of the things that uh, uh, Peter says he needs to adjust to is what he used to do for Michael Vick, which is to take a, uh, a drop further back so that he can allow Fields a lane to move up towards a, an angle uh, as opposed to him taking a shorter drop back when Dalton's in there. So it, it's going to be interesting if indeed Justin Fields is the quarterback this week, all of the offensive linemen will be able to make the little the nuance uh, adaptations to Justin Fields' playing style. So that's that's something to watch this, this weekend against the Cleveland Browns. Sure. All right, guys, are you ready for the final round? Let's sure. do it. All right. One of the most talked about topics after the Bears game and throughout the NFL is the league's latest crackdown on taunting. Two such penalties were called in the Bears-Bengals game and several more were called in other NFL games. John, where do you come down on taunting? You got 60 or 30 seconds. I, I hate this rule, and I can't wait until it seriously affects a playoff game or a Super Bowl so the NFL can see how stupid this is. Any goodwill that they bought themselves by letting the players celebrate in front of that big camera last year is gone because apparently they want to eliminate clapping or pointing or even talking to an opposing player. I think what they ultimately want is a guy to score a touchdown, quietly place the ball down on the ground, walk to the bench, and thank his host on the way out. Uh, this is such like a baseball thing to do. Old grumpy men hate entertainment. It's, it's making the game boring, and but I get it. And so the, the, the fact of the matter is the rules come out. They should have fought the rules when they first come out. If the rules are there, we got to do our best to be disciplined. Like at the end of the day, don't hurt your team. That's a first down. It's a third down. You just got him off the field and you're clapping. You just gave him a freaking first down. So at the end of the day, we don't have time for that. We got to win football games. So be disciplined. Keep your freaking mouth shut and win the game and celebrate by the scoreboard. It sounds like, like a true military man, right? To take your orders and shut up and do what you know. <laughs> we got to win. I'll be honest, as soon as I saw, and, and it's escaping my mind of who was clapping and got called for that, I, I don't remember who got the uh, the taunting call for the Bears, but I, as, as soon as I... Uh, Tishon, 
Gibson. Yeah, as soon as as soon as I saw him, as soon as I saw him start clapping, I'm like, oh God, no. And then soon enough, boom, there's the laundry because I knew that that was a point of emphasis. You're supposed to point in someone's face or clap in their face or address them directly after the play or anything like that. So as much as I hate it and I think it's stupid and I think that this is going to really take away the emphasis on what actually happens on the field because if you're if you're going to get off the field because you made a great third down play and all of a sudden you get a stupid taunting call and all of a sudden taunting is seriously affecting the game. Oh, how would you guys do? Oh, we didn't run the ball well, but man, we did we did draw four taunting calls. So <laughs> it's I I I hate that that's going to be part of the game now. Uh and I despise it but like tyler said those are the rules and just because it and just because you hate it doesn't mean you can't it doesn't mean you're not supposed to follow it in this situation hopefully the pa comes gets involved and and says this is stupid and we're not going to do this anymore or they they come to some kind of agreement or whatever but as long as this rule's on the book it's just just like anything else you don't agree with it that doesn't mean they're not going to tag you with it right yeah, Matt Nagy, uh, when he talked about it, he said that, you know, he, it's a rule, and so he he supports it. So he took the kind of the company stand on it. But what I'd like to know is why is, is this important to enforce? Why is it important to put into effect? Were we seeing problems in the recent past with taunting that led to uh, violence or led to fights or led to any, anything that uh, dirtied the, the game. I mean, this is a game about collisions. This is a game about yeah. uh, being macho. Yeah. This is a game about violence. And so it's competition, like it's, it's, it's for competition. Right. It's just, right. It's, Oh, that's why that's why that's why I called it like such a baseball thing to do where you're not supposed to show up the pitcher. You're not supposed to celebrate after you strike somebody out. You're not supposed to show any emotion just to uh, just appease the 60 and 70 year olds in the stand who just want to fill out their stat card. Oh, why are they showboating? Why are they showboating? Why? Yeah. And listen, I'm not I was I was not brought up in a, in a sports family that said, that go showboat, go flaunt, go go be. Uh, yeah, if you ever watched Doug Buffon play, it wasn't so much about showboating as much as it was being an angry sob on the field. So I'm not somebody. I never in my athletic career I wasn't much of a showboater. I wasn't a trash talker. I didn't I didn't do much taunting at all. But as some people do and that's okay whatever if that's what gets you psyched up hell the nba there's so many trash talkers and taunting because they actually feed off of their own trash talk kevin garnett comes to mind where he didn't even know what he was saying at the time but he was fueling himself he didn't know if any of that crap was true but he's saying stuff and so um i i i wouldn't i don't do it but i would i i'll defend to the death that everyone's the right to do it i should say so it's it's it just can't penalize people for it if you want to if you want to shut somebody up Light their ass up on the field yeah. legally, of course. You want to yeah. you want to show you want to show somebody else up who's been yakking at you. Go up top and just burn them, leave them scorched. No one, no one's gonna, sh- no one's gonna taunt you if you just scorched them for fifty yards. No one's gonna yeah. taunt you if you just bulldoze them. So, so play better. You don't like it? Do something about it, it within the realms of legality, of course. I, I think this is gonna be on the on the fact of the Bears. This is where the coaching ha- the coach has the the hey team. We're on a mission to win the Super Bowl. We want to win a division. Anything that we do contrary to this goal is not a priority. If you hit the guy when he's out of bounds, we're going to get flagged. If you lean over him, they're going to get flagged. It's kind of just like with police out in the out, out in, in the real world. Don't give them a reason to pull you over. Don't give them a reason to give you a flag because if you do it, it's unnecessary attention, which takes away from our goal. Is it stupid? Yes. 
But guess what? The Chicago Bears hasn't won a playoff game in some time. Let's focus on what we got to do first because we just sucked last week. So let's focus on the basics. Let's win a freaking football game because we need we, we got to also to work on. So, so it comes mm-hmm. back to humility. Humility and grace. Get your butt back to the sideline. Don't clap. Do it again because you got burnt last week. So have some grace and just like like have some class and do it the right way. Also, we don't got time to be showboating because we still making bonehead decisions. We ain't <laughs> had a shutout in a while. We had four turnovers. We should have won by like twenty one points. Yeah, but we can't be doing all this and they yeah. still scoring. I, I will say this: the one thing that infuriates me to no end is when a team is down twenty and you make a play and you start acting like you just won the Super Bowl. Dude, scoreboard. If you're getting if you're getting your ass beat, do not showboat. Do not taunt. Don't do a damn thing because it ain't about you. It's about your team, and your team is getting boat raised. So also, uh, if if a, if a player just it, I, this is another one that I hate. If a running back rips off like a 13, 14 yard play and then takes a hard hit, but he picked up the first down five yards ago, and someone's beating on their chest like they just made a big hit. Yo, dude, just ripped off a first down. It's first and ten. What the hell are you celebrating? Now I didn't see any. I didn't see any of those particular instances in the in the Bears last game. I'm just making mental notes of notes of when I've seen that, where it's just like, what are you celebrating? It's first down. What are you? Oh, you, oh, oh, you're celebrating. Hey, by the way, you're down thirty points. What are you celebrating? I, I hate that. I will say, I hate. Should it be penalized? Absolutely not. I just, I just, I just hate it. I hate to see it. But that's a that's a. I guess that's a different topic for 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 a different show. Well, uh, John, you brought uh, to my memory uh, this uh, infamous play in Chicago Bears history. The Bears oh, trailing 23 to 48, and Lamar Houston gets a sack, and he celebrates, and what happens? He tears an ACL. <laughs> uh-huh. You are down what? What is it, 25 points with three minutes left in the football game, mm-hmm. and you tore your ACL on your celebration? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I get it. I get it. I, that wasn't even talking. He was no. just so. No, he Bill Grammatica is himself there. I don't know if anyone gets the Bill Grammatica reference. I'm sure you guys do, but I don't know oh, if any yeah. of our listeners are, are around. But uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, listen, I get it. It's an intense game. Yeah, there's a lot of emotions going on there, but you got to keep it straight in between the ears and also understand, have some awareness of the situation. You're down three touchdowns with three minutes left, and they're inside the red zone, which how they get in the red zone? They probably pound the ball down your throat. So uh, I, there's no need to celebrate anything. If you are down 21 points and you score a touchdown with 30 seconds left, you don't need to be throwing the ball in the stadium. You don't need to be doing any Lambo leaps or anything like that. You're going to lose the game or you're getting your ass kicked. Don't look like a fool by celebrating mediocrity. I, I hate that. I hate that. I uh, I have no reason to taunt you two gentlemen. You brought it today again on this third episode of the Bear Debate. Let's go around the table and find out what you guys are working on and let our followers know. Start with you, Tyler. What's going on, brother? Um, pretty much um, just have, having fun in fantasy football land. Shout out to Joe Mandel and the guys at Fanny, um, um, Fantasy Goon. Um, the guy, um, Joe and Adam are doing a heck of a job over there. But we're working on over here between sports nutrition and trying to be a blessing. You can check out freedomgames.us for all any sports nutrition from amino acids. It's all about injury prevention. We want to feel your bodies to be able to produce, but also to perform. But outside of that, um, mabasa.kenyarelief.org. 
we're actually being able to um, pour in to the community and to the children of Kenya, giving them resources to healthcare, um, um, education, giving sharing resources, being able to like help people come up and give opportunities in the country and outside the country. And I'm definitely looking forward to the Barroom Network doing some type of coat drive this winter for the children of Chicago, which is going to be pretty pretty awesome. But on the um, on perspective of games, where we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship, faith, family finance, and a little bit of cryptocurrency. Got an awesome project called the Crypto Space, and they're doing a lot of things to help artists start NFT, NFT projects, being able to track your portfolio, and being able to be, stay away from red pools, people that try to steal your money. And so what we're going to talk about it all, this is not financial advice, just things that I'm excited about because I'm about gains in every aspect of life. And first of all, I want to give all the glory and praise to my Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and my, my Heavenly Father, Amos Ellis. Um, love you all. Shout out to all Bulls Nation, Bulls Gold, and Bulls 101. Bulls will be a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. Let's go. All right. Great job. And anyone want, want more information from the project that Tyler is working on, make sure you hit him up on Twitter at The Gains Report. John, what do you got going on, brother? Well, there's a lot going on. First and foremost, just so everyone knows, I'm not anti-taunting. I, I, I like, I like, <laughs> I like taunting, and, and when I, I like, I like taunting when appropriate. And so that that's where that's where I'm at on that. But anyway, uh, I digress. So a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the bar room. Obviously, this show has been really fun to do with you, you guys. Uh, Buffon 55, where that we we do that every Wednesday. Alyssa Barbieri and I have a host on to talk about the Bears upcoming opponent. We have someone that works closely around the Browns organization to help break down that Browns team to see where the Bears could potentially exploit some weaknesses. So that's, uh, that's going to be a fun time. And then of course, after the show, all three of us back on Bear football immediately after the game, you will get some raw reaction about what happened, whether the Bears win or lose, we're going to bring it. So that's always a lot of fun, a lot of fun programming here on the Barroom Network. Indeed. Uh, so make sure you follow us at Barroom Network. You get all the information there. And an easy way to stay on top of what we're doing here at the Barroom Network is to subscribe to this YouTube channel or subscribe to our audio podcast feed. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, anywhere uh, major uh, or any major delivery channel for podcasts. We are there. Gentlemen, You again, you brought it. Thanks very much uh, for making time for the Bear Debate. And we will be back here next week to talk about hopefully a Bears victory over the Browns. Take care, everybody.